Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today on State of the World, the danger for Gazans who followed Israel's evacuation order and the family of a released hostage. Thanks for listening to State of the World from NPR. We bring you the day's most vital international stories, up close, where they're happening. It's Tuesday, November 28th. I'm Greg Dixon. In a few minutes, Palestinians who followed Israel's orders and fled to southern Gaza only to find themselves in peril. But first, Abigail Edan turned four last Friday while being held hostage by Hamas. Both her parents were killed when Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th. Her two older siblings, who are six and ten years old, managed to hide in a closet. Abigail ran to a neighbor's house where she was taken hostage by Hamas and held for 50 days. This weekend, she was the first American freed as part of a hostage and prisoner exchange enabled by a temporary ceasefire in Gaza. And Abigail, who has dual American and Israeli citizenship, is now safely back with family in Israel. Abigail's cousin Noah Neftali and great-aunt Liz Hirsch Neftali spoke to NPR's Mary Louise Kelly. The very basic question to begin, how is Abigail doing? Have you all been able to speak with her? She is back. She's safe. She is with her family. She was able to be reunited with her brother and sister and her cousins. And we understand that it was a very joyful and emotional reunion. Oh, I can imagine. And in terms of, I mean, she's four. She's so, so young. But do you have a sense of, uh, is she in good health? Is she doing okay? Well, she was a hostage for 50 days. I think that we will only learn as the days go on and for a long time what really effectively will be the results of having been a hostage and having been in her father's arms when he was murdered. So what I can say is that she came out, she was hungry, and she has been eating and drinking and so overjoyed to be with her family and her siblings. Really, they said the light went on when she saw her brother and sister and her cousins. She was taken off the kibbutz on October 7th with another mother and her three kids. This was neighbors. She had run to a neighbor's house. Yes, so that she had run to a neighbor's house after she crawled out from under her father's body. And these neighbors took her in. And she knew the neighbors. They live in a community, so they knew them. Abigail knew them. And the youngest boy goes to preschool with her. Right. The, The youngest son of this family was her classmate in nursery school. So what we prayed for and hoped for was that this mother, Hagar, would be with Abigail and her three kids, and we learned that she was, and that she was able to be there for her and hug her and show her the love that a four-year-old child would need in these moments. I'm told President Biden reached out to your family. Would you share any of what he had to say? Well, first, he reached out to my brother-in-law in in Israel. That was the first call he made, and he was calling to ensure the family in Israel, and then he called me. But what he was calling to do was to ensure us that Abigail was back in Israel and she was safe. 
That was the most important message. He wanted us to know that she had crossed the border and she was back in Israel. Is that how you heard the news? Well, it's interesting because we were watching the news, but it was unknown. So the first thing we were, we were waiting to see Abigail. That was the most important thing to understand that she was truly released. The second thing that he talked about, which for me was really important, it's what Noah and I are very focused on right now, is that he and his administration, along with Qatar and Egypt, the leaders in those countries, that they would continue to work with the Israelis to make sure that more hostages will be released and that we will not stop from the top level down to what we're doing on our let's call it on our local level, to make sure that every hostage comes home to their loved ones. And I'll say this, which is the one piece that I listened when I heard him speak so beautifully was that what he really wanted to do was give this little girl a hug. That's what I think so many people have said to us, that they just want her to come home and they just want to embrace her. Because Abigail coming home is like any of our children, grandchildren, This is the president of the United States, the commander in chief. And the most poignant moment was when he said, I just want to give this child a hug because that's what we want to all do is to embrace her. And, you know, I think about Abigail and for all this time, she has been a symbol of these hostages. These are all innocent civilians that were taken, kidnapped, taken hostage after seeing horrific, horrific things. And Abigail being this beautiful little child who should never have been ever a hostage for a minute is a symbol and she will continue to be a symbol of all of these innocent civilians. And I hope that Abigail will continue to be this hope for peace, a hope for making this world a better place for our children. That prompts me to ask, and this may not be a fair question given what your family has just been through, but is there anything you, either of you would wish to say To Palestinians who may be listening, I guess particularly those who may also be grieving family killed in this war. Hmm. I think that I hope and pray for a future in which all children in the Middle East are safe, not just safe, but also safe to be themselves, men, women, LGBTQ+, and I hope that the world will do everything that they can to ensure a safe future for Palestinians, for Israelis, regardless of where they were born and what religion they follow. I just want to take a moment um, to ask everyone, I guess, to think about the people who are still held hostage. These are grandparents, parents, sons, daughters, aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews. There are many, many women still in the hands of Hamas and that everyone around the world needs to do everything possible to get all of these people and especially the women out now. That is Noah Naftali and Liz Hirsch Naftali, cousin and great aunt to now four-year-old Abigail Idan, now back in the custody of her family. In Israel. Thanks to you both. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be back in a minute. Listen to Embedded for moments that stay with you. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Voices that resonate. 
Stories that change the way you think about your life. How how did we get here? The Embedded Podcast is NPR's home for original documentary series. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. On Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, we have very important people on our show and then ask them about very unimportant things. Here's U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, We are also reliably informed that among your enthusiasms, in addition to macroeconomic policy, is mobile games. Uh, There is some truth in that. There's some truth in that. Join us for the NPR podcast that considers all the other things. That's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. In October, shortly after the war started, Israel told people in northern Gaza to leave and go to the southern part of the territory. They said that area would be safer. But then Israel continued heavy bombardments there, according to witnesses and satellite data reviewed by experts. Gaza health officials say thousands of civilians have been killed in these, quote, evacuation areas. And PR's producer in Gaza, Anas Baba, went with families who fled homes in North Gaza for the south, only to find their lives still in danger. And PR's Ruth Sherlock has this report. And a note, this story contains some disturbing scenes. <laughs> Israel started telling people to leave their homes in North Gaza in October, and thousands took the road Israel opened for a few hours a day to reach the areas it said would be safer. They walked for miles through the blasted landscape of buildings hit by airstrikes and the war going on around them. NPR producer Anas Baba was with them. We can see people. They're just like holding their white flags between their hands. The faces of the people is just like, and all of the artillery is getting intensive. No one is feeling safe. Nothing is safe. He sees a woman collapsed on the road, too distraught to give her name. I want my daughter, she says. There was an airstrike as they fled Gaza City. Now she can't find her 10-year-old. A passerby tells her, you have to stand up and continue on this road. There isn't time to mourn. I can't, she says. Some on this route carry or drag injured loved ones until they finally reach the Wadi Gaza wetlands that mark the part of Gaza Israel told civilians to flee to in leaflets dropped from planes and messages on social media and even phone calls. Everyone is trying to take just a five minutes to ten minutes break on the sidewalk of the street. A mother is just washing her son's face. And the mother is holding a cup for her baby child. These supposedly safer areas of central and southern Gaza are already overcrowded with hundreds of thousands of displaced. In the town of Rafa that borders Egypt, a Quranic verse rings out from the minaret of this local mosque, calling on residents to aid those seeking refuge. The imam then asks people to donate mattresses, clothes or blankets. 
But the misery and the danger that awaits those displaced to the south soon becomes clear. Anas visits a school that's become a temporary refuge. It's overcrowded, and the UN says its shelters are also so overwhelmed that on average 700 people share a single shower, and disease is spreading. And worst of all, the airstrikes continue here too. I called an expert in conflict development and peacebuilding. I think the word evacuation is really problematic here because it conjures up an idea of a safe route to a place of safety. Caitlin Proctor at the Geneva Graduate Institute challenges the Israeli notion that this is an evacuation zone. I don't know how a place can be described as safe, which is under regular bombardment, where there's nowhere for people to sleep. There's no food, there's no water, there are no hygiene facilities. I think there's nowhere safe in Gaza whatsoever. The United Nations Relief Agency, UNRWA, says 67 of its facilities, like warehouses and schools, both used as shelters, have been directly hit or damaged, and that more than half of these are located in the parts of Gaza Israel told civilians to shelter in. Satellite data analysed by experts for NPR shows how up to 15,000 buildings in these central and southern areas of the Gaza Strip have been damaged or destroyed since the start of this war, and that 94% of the damage happened after Israel ordered Palestinians to move south on October 13. And the civilian harm watchdog Air Wars told NPR the number of civilians reported hurt in these areas increased in the week after Israel gave its evacuation order. Israel says it aims to destroy Hamas and prevent more attacks like the one on October 7th and rescue hostages. It says Hamas uses civilians for cover. Asked by NPR why it was attacking areas it told people to go to, the Israeli military said it would strike Hamas targets, quote, wherever necessary. Earlier this month, NPR producer Anas Baba arrived at the scene of one such strike on a residential block in the southern town of Rafa. It destroyed homes just near a UN building. Where is my mum? A child cries in the darkness amid the rubble. Where is my dad? A man asks for his wife. People tell him she's been pulled out. But my daughters, he shouts, please look for them. Anas sees more civilians arrive. This is a father that just like grabbed his daughter from under the rubbles. Her face is totally full of blood. And another body is next to me, covered in a blanket. They say that she's a woman. This woman is screaming loudly for an ambulance to save her nephew. Eventually, the ambulance comes. The paramedics have to load three corpses and a wounded girl into the same vehicle because there aren't enough ambulances or fuel to make separate trips. Israel recently dropped new leaflets on one of these southern areas of Gaza that people fled to, telling them to move again. The towns that were supposed to be safer are expected to come under heavy attack once the ceasefire is over. Ruth Sherlock, NPR News.
That's the state of the world from NPR. For more coverage of all sides of this conflict, go to npr.org slash updates. And if you appreciate our coverage, like bringing you many perspectives on the Israel-Hamas war, today is Giving Tuesday, and we'd appreciate it if you'd consider supporting us. You can do that by signing up for State of the World Plus. That's at plus.npr.org. Or you can make a tax-deductible donation to your local NPR station. Thanks for your support. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth... Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.